it's almost like a chicken and the egg, which one came first. And so you have this plot, you've done this outline, and now you've got characters and you've got to make sure that the characters are real and you can't just force them to do these things that the plot requires them to do because that's contrived. And yet that's exactly what you're doing as an author. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of the kick-ass Vanessa Michael Monroe thrillers. And this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And Taylor, in today's show, we're going to be talking about embedding character traits. But before we get to that, you live in Texas. Uh, There's a lot of bad stuff that's happening in Texas, but not around where you live, as I understand it. You're in Dallas. The bad stuff is well south of you. Um, how is everything in, in your neck of the woods? Did you get a lot of rain? <laughs> no, we didn't get any rain. Um, sometimes people who haven't been to Texas, it's impossible almost sometimes to imagine how big this state is. And so like Dallas is 400 odd miles away from where the worst of it hit, but we've got our other kinds of drama. <laughs> <laughs> Such as storm related. So we're, we're um, I know that not everybody who listens to this show is going to listen to it at the time that it goes live. And so we're talking about Hurricane Harvey in case anybody, you know, hears this two or three years yeah. later. We are recording this on September 1st, 2017. Yes. About a week, almost exactly a week after the storm hit, I think, or, or was uh, approaching the uh, the coast of Texas. Yes. And so I, I have to preface this story um, because anytime you do something, post anything on the Internet, talk about anything, it is 100 percent guaranteed that someone is going to find a way to be offended about it. <laughs> and, you know, I'm about to tell some hilarity that ensued in Dallas in the wake of Harvey's aftermath. And there's going to be someone out there who's going to think that somehow I'm trying to make this a boohoo story about me and overlooking all the, the damage and the horrible things that happened to the, to the victims down there. And this is not it. So please, people, in good faith here, okay? So um, Labor Day's coming up, and I have to make a 100-mile trip. And it's not it's something I have to do. I can't get around it. And yesterday I'm talking to someone and they're like, uh, if you're going to do that, you better make sure you have a full tank of gas. And I'm like, what? why? And they said, there's no gas in Dallas. And I'm like, <laughs> what are you talking about? How could there be no gas in Dallas? I mean, we didn't get hit by a storm. And for sure, you know, the refineries are down, down in Houston, but it's not like it wiped out all of our, you know, reserves here in the country. It's just a little bit of a disruption. How is there no gas in Dallas? And then I thought, oh, crap, I better go check my tank. (laughs) (laughs) So I did. And I had enough to maybe get where I needed to go, but not necessarily. And maybe, maybe enough to get back. But I'd be cutting it real close. And I can't afford to get stranded. And that's the thing is, if you don't know if you can't get gas, it creates a sort of sense of panic. And I thought, okay, well, I'll just run out real quick and just tank up because it can't be this bad. Somebody's exaggerating. And there's, you know, quite a few gas stations around where I am. So I went to one. I was like, yeah, look, it's fine. They still got their prices up on the board. There's cars, the thing. And I go there and I'm like, oh, but there's plastic bags on all the handles and signs saying out of gas. I'm like, well, that sucks. (laughs) So I look across the street. 
and there's another gas station and you know everything seems to be okay there so like okay fine i'll drive over there and i get there no gas i'm like oh crap so i drive around to a few more places and they're all out too and now i'm starting to feel a little panicky because i'm like i have enough gas if i don't do anything but if i spend <laughs> 45 minutes driving around trying to get gas, I'm not going to be able to do what I need to do. And I, there's no guarantee that I'll get it. So I went home and I do what I always do, which is like try to actually research and figure out what the scope of this problem is. And so, of course, you know, all the officials are saying there's no gas shortage. And I'm like, I know there's no <laughs> gas shortage on the whole, <laughs> but we have one obviously here in Dallas because everybody panicked <laughs> and everybody went to top off their gas tanks and they can't get it in fast enough. So I called up the people who are where I was going to be going and I was like, look, here's the situation here where I am. Do you have gas where you are? And they're like, uh, we don't know. So they went out to gas station real close by and they're like, no. <laughs> and I'm like, what the? And uh, so by this time, I discovered that there were a few big gas stations that had apps and like you could actually punch in. It was like related specifically to the shortage going on that you could punch in and figure out which ones had. I was like, OK, there's one that's like 10 minutes away from you. It still has gas. And they like totally rerouted their schedule to go get it. And they filled up some jerry cans and they filled up their tank, too. And then they're like, OK, we've got it. And I'm like, okay, fine. So I knew that at least I could get there, Philip. If this whole madness didn't subside by then, which I really expect that it will, but it's always the unknowns, right? So I was like, at least I can fill my gas tank back up, get home, and just set it out because I don't really have to go anywhere. You know, like I don't have a day job that I'm required <laughs> to get to every single day. And so um, then this this person, they you know went about the business, and then they had to actually pass that way again an hour later. And there was no gas in that gas station anymore. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. And so um, I, I had to talk to someone else that I was supposed to have a meeting with over the weekend. I was like, I don't know if you want to do that if there's no if you could, don't have gas. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> and I told them they're like, ah. so they had to go find it, too. So it's like yesterday was just filled with all this drama. It, it, it's it's unnecessary self-created drama because there's plenty of gas in Texas. <laughs> It's just a small delay in the pipeline. And when everybody makes a rush on the stations at once, even people who don't need it necessarily, but they're panicked because they don't know when they can get it again, then it just makes it that much worse. So I'm, I'm starting to see that it, you know, gas stations are starting to fill back up again. And I imagine that now every tank in this multi-million people metro area has a full tank of gas. So we should be okay for a while. But I'm just like, yeah, that's our Harvey aftermath mm. drama. And this reminds me of occasionally going north on Interstate 75 and traffic just comes to a standstill. And you don't know if there's a, a horrific crash or... If, if something else happened and 75% of the time, half hour later, when you get to the cause of the slowdown, it's a car in a ditch or like pulled off oh to the God, side or yes. something with a little minor thing. But because the first person had to slow down, then the second person had to slow down. And then the 974th person had to come to a complete stop, which impacts traffic for 30 minutes. And then you get yes. there and you go, oh. It just you just shake your head and you go, why do people have to why do people have to slow down to or look at cars poured on, on the side, side of the road? Of the road, it's on the other side of the freeway. Yes. Yeah. 
So anyway, yeah, I mean, it's that ripple effect. Something yeah. happens 400 miles from you, and a few people start thinking, I better load up because maybe I'm going to need to go to Houston and help out. I'm going to need to take my boat down to Houston and help out like so many people have done. Mm -hmm. And so they're filling up their boat and they're filling up their car. And then people see a line at the gas station and they say, oh, my goodness, <laughs> we've got to fill up the cars. And then it's I think also it's like a fear that gas prices are going to rise. And they did. They, they jumped tremendously in the shortage. Like, I think gas went up in some places by as much as 40 cents a gallon almost overnight. But and it wasn't price gouging. It was the, there's a short, you know, as the demand increases and supply shrinks, price goes up. It didn't go up to like eight dollars a gallon or something. And for those of you listening, we are not going to get into a discussion of economics. Or fungible goods. <laughs> but anyway, that was uh, that was the drama, and I'm still just like my brain is like, oh my god. All right. Today's topic is embedding character traits, and this actually this is sort of a, a quasi interesting story because Taylor and I were talking about a possible show topic earlier in the week, and then in the Taylor Stevens fan club group, Carol posted something that sort of tied in with our possible target, except with our possible topic, except it was better. And then Carol went above and beyond by actually coming up with a bunch of things that I could ask Taylor. And she specifically said, don't tell Taylor so she can't prepare. So are you prepared to be unprepared? Oh, my God. I'm just like, you guys are so mean. I mean, this is awesome, but you're so mean. <laughs> so basically what we're, what we're talking about is a situation where let's, let's say you're at a, at a party and you see someone and something's not right about them. And are we talking fictional here? Like fictional, this is the yes. whole thing of how would you describe or embed these traits into uh, into your story? Like yes, yes. As opposed to just straight telling, I saw this guy across the room and he looked kind of creepy, and this is why he looked kind of creepy, and you know, so the the kind of thing that you would do to massage something like that to make it just kind of zip off the page and we would just reading the words through the eyes of of our main character and understanding that this is the the situation with that person without actually being told or telling the reader what's going on does that okay does that and make so sense? the scene the scene is that we're at a party and well to make it even better at taylor taylor carol has has laid it all out it's a okay. very fancy she used the term she she charity event everyone is dressed to the nines how would you know the person you are being introduced to is and then there are all these these various things and i'm kind of picking and choosing the first one we're at this she she charity event everyone is dressed to the nines and how would you know the person that you are being introduced to is a con man who plans to rob his date blind? How could you get that across, get the hint of something like that across as an author? Okay, so I have to, I, I have to beg context here. Um, is this person someone that the character has never seen before, is just in the room with, or is it someone that the character is knows already about and is trying to spot in the group? And is that their one? Because all of these things 
are going to totally guide how the like the context will guide everything. Let me try and provide context because I'm I'm winging it here. Um, okay. Let's say that the character is a woman. The 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 character that we're seeing the story through is a woman, and she sees a friend of hers, another woman with a guy that's really well dressed because it's a she-she party. Everyone is really well-dressed. And what neither of the women know is that he's a con man who is trying to rob this woman. Okay, so let's say that this scene is sort of going to kick off the book. Like, we don't have any background, any anything, and something's going to happen later on in the story. So friend one is introduced to friend two, I mean, the, the character is introduced to her, sees her friend, hi, and she introduced him, introduced her to her date for the evening. And the character is looking him up and down and thinking, hey, you know, he's a good looking guy. And here's where so much of it is context, because it's going to be plot related. But since we're going to need to drop a clue for the character or something of a point in the right direction... The, the man on her arm might be a little too charming, a little too glib, very smarmy and ingratiating. And this, the, the main character, it would rub her the wrong way in the sense that I've seen this before. This is, this ki- this is almost too good to be true uh, in the sense that people who are that charming and that likable are usually trying to get something from you. So she, she, her spite, you know, he'd be very, very charming and very glib and just avoid in the conversation, hey, how are you? What do you do for a living? Oh, really? What, you know, you work for, so how long have you worked there? You know, just normal conversation and his answers are a little bit vague. And that makes her go, huh. And so she starts to keep an eye on him and in, in really listen to what he's saying and think, eh, something about this doesn't seem right, but my friend here seems so happy, so I'm going to let this slide for now, but there's something about him that I'm not really sure about, and then we move on. And you would get this across to the reader through internal dialogue? That external and internal. Like, the way that she's reacting to the... Re- the internal would be that he says something and she's like, that's odd or whatever. And so she asks another correct question, wondering if he'd be more direct with that. Mm. And when he dodges that, she's like, something about this guy seems off. And she might even think, I wonder if he's got, you know, if, if my friend is his little side side cookie here and he's got a wife at home and that's what he's why he's being evasive or hiding. It might not be right away that the character figures, oh, this is a con man. Just that sense of something isn't right. OK, that was great. Now, same situation, same two women, uh, but more, more detail. They've been friends for a long time. They know each other's history. They know where they've came. They, they know where they've come from. Um, and let's say they both sort of have come from nothing and work their way up to where they're very comfortable being in an environment like this. But the friend comes up with a female friend who is from the other side of the tracks and is obviously not comfortable being there, and and we don't know why. It just, you know, maybe it's because she's poor and she's not used to being around people that are dressed as well, or maybe it's because she spent her last uh, paycheck on the dress that she's wearing tonight, but she's uncomfortable. How do you, 
How would you get that across to the reader? The discomfort? The discomfort and then figuring out what might be the cause of the discomfort. The discomfort would be shown through posture and uh, furtive eye movements and in a unwillingness to make eye contact. And the main character might be, you know, depending on the scenario, uh, wanting maybe she wants to make her friend feel comfortable too. So she tries to draw this character out. And as she does, the character begins to ease up a little bit. She realizes, okay, well, that's why she, you know, she was uncomfortable. It wasn't something, it wasn't like she doesn't like me or, you know, it's discomfort, not bitchiness or, or whatever, because anxiety, social anxiety can often be mistaken for bitchiness. So, and aloofness. So um, that, that would get sorted out through her watching the posture, watching the eye movements, listening to answers. And then if the character needed to dig deeper and felt that there was some reason for the the discomfort that was more uh, sinister, not so innocuous, then probably she'd just go ask her friend immediately, like, hey, how did you guys meet? You know, that type of a thing. And that, it would be very, it would, again, be through dialogue, because that's so, the reason why it comes back to the same the same answer, even though the inner dialogue and the external dialogue would be different because that's situational, is because the big situation of the social setting is the same. So there's really only so much you can do in a social setting like a, a highfalutin shindig where there's lots of people around, where people's opinions and judgment is all very, um, it's like a little pressure cooker. Everybody's watching everybody. So there's only so much you can do in that situation to learn things, and that's going to be through observation and interaction. All right. How could you take that same situation to use it to explain something about your protagonist to the reader? So let's say, and again, this has something, This it's all situational. Who is your character? Does your character actually belong there? Is this the first time the character has been in that type of a situation? So what what you're trying to convey to the reader is that. Like, how does your character relate to this situation that they're in? Let's say they got, um, I don't want to say dragged in, but like they're doing a favor. Does that remind you of something, Steve? Um, <laughs> Steve's story of... Uh, was the, the the four seasons of Reno Hart has a, has a, a story where Reno's in a um, a situation a high society shindig thing like this. Mm -hmm. Let's say you've been um, you know bribed into it basically, and you're there as a favor. So introducing the character to the reader in that sense will be relating this to their life, like this very much how you did it in your story with you know. She didn't normally wear high heel shoes, but she did it because she had to. Um, the dress looked hot on her, even though she preferred wearing pants and jeans. And you know, it's, it's, so it's all it's all a contrast, contrasting the current situation to contrasting the character's life, and it's done through action, movement. You know, picking up a champagne glass and thinking whatever about the champagne you know but it somehow it has to pertain to the actual movie it can't just be throwaway um 
champagne glass relates to something else that has nothing to do with the scene or the setting or the plot. So um, the way that I describe di um, description in general has a lot to do with how we I would describe embedding character traits and it's through movement. Um, it's through the action. Somebody does something because. You don't want to have the because in there. That's what I call the because factor. You put the because first and then have them do the action. And it all makes sense when it's done through the reason why, the reason why, the reason why. And slowly through those little things, the character starts to build without saying so-and-so was, you know, from XYZ background. And this was the first time she'd ever been in a situation like this. And she was very uncomfortable. So you would go, so-and-so, um, you know, so-and-so walks into the room, you know, she naturally just wants to go put her back against the wall and just observe because she doesn't know any of these people. Um, she's not sure if her dress, her dress is out of place or not. She's trying to think back of the last time she's ever been to anything like this. It must have been 15 years ago when so-and-so invited her to some event and that had ended in a disaster because she'd wanted to vomit and got sick and had to leave. You know, that's character right there. <laughs> and I'm interested and I want to read more. <laughs> All right, the same two women, same situation, everything's the same except the friend. And this time the friend is a female friend who is only there. But this is a charity event to raise money. But this friend is only there to make connections and to further her business career. How would you show that? I would show it through glance across the room, watch Susie walked through the door and do an inner sigh. This was supposed to be for this, and now we have to waste our time talking with so-and-so, and the only reason she's here is to see XYZ. I got to go play defense men and cut this off before it gets started. Okay. Now let's let's amp it up a little bit. Let's say that that the protagonist is someone like Monroe, someone, okay. someone with that vast array of skills, or maybe some other character that you've written about <laughs> that we can't get into. And this time she sees across the room someone who looks like they're going to do something horrific, uh, pull out a gun, attack someone, that kind of thing. How how would how would your protagonist slowly come to realize that something like that was about to happen? Let's say it's Monroe and she's in a situation like that. We have two potential scenarios. And again, context is everything. So potential scenario one, she just happens to be there. And scenario two, she's actually looking for someone who's going to do some kind of damage. And she's trying to figure out which person it is. So scenario one, she just happens to be there. Now, again, context is everything. Is this event, does the character who does the bad thing, is this something that is going to play into the plot where she already was aware of him and she's conveniently in the same place at the same time? Or is she, like, does the plot spin off of him getting away with it and not being stopped? Context is everything. Because your character, even though your characters drive the story, the story is still the story. And 
I, I talk about this in a video that I recently put up in Patreon where I'm, I'm going through this process myself now in building out a new story and I'm sort of uh, video blogging it as I go, the, my process. And uh, when you write thrillers, it, it's very, very plot heavy. And so it's almost like a chicken and the egg, which one came first. And so you have this plot, you've done this outline and now you've got characters and you've got to make sure that the characters are real and you can't just force them to do these things that the plot requires them to do because that's contrived. And yet that's exactly what you're doing as an author. And, and so you have to make sure that the, the character traits bend to the story in a very realistic way. So context is everything. So let's say in this particular situation, Monroe is there. She doesn't know that something bad is going to happen and that the bad thing that happens is obviously going to kick off something else because otherwise there's no point for it to be in the story. And it can go a couple of different ways. Maybe she doesn't see it in time because she wasn't paying attention to them. You know, when you, you have a character who's in a situation where they're just there and they're not switched on, they might be observant, but things could be happening behind their back. So do we need Monroe to see this person? Do we, like, so much of it is context. So let's say that we need her to see this person but not be able to stop him because knowing who this person, like having a, a flash of his face is critical to what happens later in the story. But if she stops him, there is no story. So let's say that she's in line. Uh, are we, let's say it's the same. Are we in the same shindig? Okay. So she's there. And let's say she's there as um, just because she got invited. Uh, she rescued somebody and she's there as part of a group of people who were in on this rescue, whatever. And they're, talking and you know she's kind of eyeing the crowd and the waiters are all there and you know one of the wait staff comes in and he's you know just fits in with everybody else and just flash of a second she sees movement that's not natural to a waiter he's reaching for his waistband and she has just enough time in seeing that to push someone aside and get down and out. It's something that fast, that that bang and the action is going. But again, that's contextual. That everything is as it relates to something else. All right. And if you were actually writing that scene, how would you and I'm I'm I, I'm not going to ask the how question. I'm going it? to tell I'm you. Saying... I'm going to tell you how you do it and then you tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> you would slow everything down from the moment she saw something and to this beat 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 scenario of things that laid out what happened after she saw the thing. Yes. Yay! Exactly. That's like getting a cookie. I got it right. <laughs> <laughs> it would be, you know, she picked up <clears throat> she picked up the glass, took a sip, and you know, the way movement at the far end of the room caught her eye and she paused. The waiter who just walked in the door was, you know, just slight something about his movement was slightly off and she watched him Across the room, you know that type of a thing. Okay, all right. Let's take some. I'm gonna. I'll call these simpler, although they're not simpler. Let's say they're more common type situations, um, but more useful to understand how to do. Let's say same party. 
Um, it's no longer Monroe. It's just the, the same two women that are friends that have been friends forever. And there's, there's a guy in the room that is obviously a former or, or current military person. How would you get that across without saying he's a current military person? It would be, uh, okay, <laughs> so sometimes, you know, you get hammered as an author on cliches, mm -hmm. but cliches are shortcuts, and cliches are cliches for a reason, because even though not everybody from a specific background will behave a certain way, enough do that it creates a cliche, right? And so in order to convey sort of a military background on an individual that the character has never met, again, it's gonna be observational and observations are based on cliches. It's gonna be in the way that he stood, not quite relaxed, somewhat military at ease, in the way that his eyes never stopped moving across the room. And how his, you know, he, was, he always seemed to be aware of every single person that was around him and even though he smiled and looked relaxed, you could see he wasn't. Okay. Um, a couple others. And, and this one is, is, I don't know, maybe really easy um, and maybe cliche-filled, like, like, you know, the, the, the danger of the last one. But um, you see a couple, uh, a husband and wife across the room, that are obviously in love. How do you... How do you get that across without saying they're obviously in love? Again, it's ob in this setting, everything is observational, and it's furtive glances and the way that they winked at each other like they were in on a private joke that, you know, the rest of the room could have been here or not been here, and the smiles that they flashed each other still would have been the same, and it would cause, like, a spark of jealousy or envy in the in the main character wishing that she had someone that she felt that way about or who felt that way about her. I mean, it's contextual. It depends entirely on the story. So observations and then the way that those observations become emotionally charged in, inside the observer. Okay. Um, same couple or a different couple. And this time one of the spouses loathes the other one. Um, let's say it's the wife that loathes the husband. Oh, of course you'd go um, that way. Well, it, <laughs> I can get away with it easier being a woman than if I went the other way. <laughs> um, you know, she seemed to do everything she could to avoid his touch. Forced laugh, forced smile, forced laugh when he told jokes that she, it looked like she'd heard them a hundred times. She would look like she would have done anything possible to not be in the room right now. And darting glances almost as if she was checking out the other men. The character wonders, I wonder if one of the men in this room right now is her lover, that type of a thing. Okay. Um, it, Carol has written so many of these, I'm not doing them justice, but there's another one here that I find interesting just because it's happened to me so many times at, partners, but, or at parties, but I'm not quite sure how I would go about describing it. And, and, and quickly, how would you... Let's say same party, same protagonist, and you meet someone who is a boring know-it-all. How do you get that across, like, really quickly? How fast is really quickly? Well, not, you know, like not five pages of conversation. Oh, no. So, you, you know, you have him say something really just 
mundane and pedestrian, but declare it as if it's this big matter of importance. And the character looks at her watch and looks it around, trying to find some way of escape. And then that sense of feeling trapped, and surely this has been 15 minutes, but it's only been five, and he still hasn't mm -hmm. stopped talking. So you don't have to have all the talking. You're having the character's emotional reaction to the scenario. All right. This has been fun, and you were amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm guaranteeing you that Taylor did not see these, and you came up with, with something really good for each and every one of them, and I, I, really, I fully expected to stump you with a couple of these. I just don't. I, I'm like, are you sure this is what Carol wants here? Like, am I actually really doing the embedded, whatever this embedding character things is? I'm, I just feel like I'm rambling. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is it. She'll let us know if it's not. But it's, it's, been, a, it's been really interesting because there are always situations when you're writing – um, where you can get into too much detail um, explaining who this person is. And rather than just being able to show it in, in sort of the ways that you've described and, and show it relatively quickly and just kind of get it out there and, and move on. So, like, I want to make sure, like, I add something useful in here and just reiterate that because, you know, this one particular scenario – um, it, it called for, it felt to me like I was just saying the same thing over and over and over again. Um, it, it called for observation and, and, and dialogue, not as much action as you normally could have in a, in a scene where you had two characters and one's maybe trying to get something from the other and you can use action and more body language. And, you know, but ultimately all of it, every single thing boils down to the character that's doing the observing and how a something makes them feel. Because that's what's going to convey to the reader is that the character's own emotion, the character's own reaction is, is the telling, quote unquote, but you're showing it through the way that they react to things. Okay. What's our call to action? Oh, Steve, you're kidding, right? <laughs> I am totally kidding. Um, we don't have a call to action this week. So thank you very much for listening. And thank you, Carol, so much for, for suggesting this topic and, and providing all of this. We literally only got through like 10% of what, of what Carol provided, including some other possible situations that would help, one of which was at a dog park, which is where Carol, she doesn't set all of her books in a dog park, but there is always a dog park. And her protagonist is always there in the dog park with her friends. Um, I, I should have gone that direction. with That would have been really fun to have a charity event in the dog park and then go from there. And there could have been something about a... a that would have provided for a lot of levity. A woman, a woman in high heels avoiding dog piles. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back again next Tuesday. See you with you next week. <laughs>